Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And we're into extra time. Kia ora, welcome to Extra Time. I'm Hamish Bidwell and I'm on board for the next couple of months during the Rugby World Cup. I'm joined today by RNZ's rugby correspondent Joe Porter and Wellington Pride player Alice Soper. Um, just to start guys, who do we think is going to win the tournament? Who are the, um, the genuine contenders in your eyes? I'll start with you Joe. Well, I think the All Blacks has to be favourites. To me probably South Africa and England stand out. I just think um, England have looked pretty good in the last few games they've had. They know how to win a World Cup, don't have any pressures of being at home this time around. Eddie Jones will be very, very confident. There'll be a lot of self-belief within that team. I perhaps think England are maybe the biggest challenges. Interesting. I, you know, to, to be honest with you, I think that Wales are going to be an interesting one at this World Cup. Uh, watching them at the Six Nations uh, last time around, they've got a real core of belief within those players. They've been playing together for a long time now. There's some real good combinations. They're probably one of the more experienced packs together uh, out of all of the lineups that we're seeing in there. So they're going to be an interesting one. They've got a pretty... Uh, you would say maybe one of the easier pulls that they'll be coming out of. So they've got to go through there, but it'll be, I guess, who they end up against uh, when it comes to the playoffs. Um, but, yeah, of course, All Blacks always a good tournament team now. I couldn't always say that about them, but they've definitely turned mm. that around. I'd have to go for South Africa, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the All Blacks, are, you don't go in as two-time defending champions and be written off or be rubbish. But <laughs> no. um, I think Steve Hansen is a man who's a bit confused in his methods. I think he's panicked in some of his selections. I think there's not a lot of um, thought to what's been done and who's been picked. And I think the Africans have been building really well for a couple of years now under Rusty Erasmus. And they've got the most strike of the contenders. A lot of the Six Nations sides still play really attritional, yeah. grinding kind of rugby. A lot of line-out drives, a lot of pick-and-goes. Africa can beat you, and it's going to be hard and fast conditions, mm-hmm. warm weather in Japan, and I think they're, they're all around skill level, and, and the pace they play, it makes them you know, a real challenge. Rusty certainly has given them an edge as well. These guys believe, they'll go there with a lot of belief they can win this cup, right? Yeah, my issue with them is them imploding. Yeah. They, they, you know, they'll write an inspirational passage yeah. on a, of the, from the Bible <laughs> on their wristband, and they'll, they'll cry their way through the national anthem, and then they might, you know, just to burn themselves out within yes. five minutes of the kickoff. So that's their issue. I think if they can keep their heads, they'd certainly have the talent. They also had trouble, though, as big boys. When you're watching them playing Japan last week, a lot of that tight five were heaving after about five minutes. That, that heat is going to be an, a really interesting leveller, I think, particularly when you look at the Pacific teams that are going to be playing there. They're going to have more experience playing in the hot. You know, I remember seeing uh, a tournament in Fiji, Sevens tournament. They didn't have half time. They just switched ends and play. No gaps between games. These boys know how to play in those conditions. And you look at some of these other sides, big packs, going to be hard to keep moving them around in that heat. We talk about the conditions. How much is it actually going to mean, though? I mean, you look at World Cup finals, the scores, uh, very rarely is it anything like a blowout, and it very rarely is attractive, expansive rugby played for 80 minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it just going to be 13-10 in the final, and it's going to be governed by territory, rush defence, kicking away and, and using your few counter-attacking opportunities to score? Potentially, but if you think about going to places like Twickenham and the old Lansdowne Road in Dublin, 
the conditions are, are as much a part of the match as, as the teams themselves. It's mm. it's heavy conditions. The grass is wet. Um, it suits that box kicking, um, yeah. grinding game that those nations play. You, you won't be able to play that in um, Japan, and that's that's where teams that are fit, teams that have mm. high school level, teams that are accurate in their catch pass have an advantage. I think. And there's no home crowd advantage essentially, mm. uh, I mean, or, or burden, mm, if you yeah. know what I mean. You know, look at what happened to England last time round. Yeah, yeah. What about Ireland? Do they do they have a chance? History would suggest no. Uh, their recent results haven't been flattering terribly, but well, they've got to get past um, New Zealand or yeah. South Africa or both, and that's <laughs> going to be true. tricky. I mean, they've never be progressed beyond the quarter final. Yeah. Um, having watched them play Wales last week again. Line-out drives, pick and goes, mm. really grim rugby. It was a nice game, a nice weather in Dublin, and they, you know, they produce nothing. Um, yeah, I, I don't see them making. It. And you mentioned Wales before. I think Wales' best rugby has been played earlier in the cycle. I think they're just mm. going to miss it timing-wise. Mm. The Wallabies, they would look to play, wouldn't they? Yeah, but fair income. Do you actually genuinely believe that Perth game was a, a, a window into how good they are? Was it an anomaly? What do you reckon? I think it was probably an anomaly. Um, I mean. They'll go, it'll give them a, a level of confidence, I think, going into the World Cup. But yeah, I don't see them as genuine threats to the All Black Stone, to be perfectly honest. Alice, is, is Samu Karevi the next Jonah Lomu? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I just oh, look yeah. at who, who is good tournament teams, because I think that that has to be playing into it as well. And it always comes down to a level of self-belief, which is why you can't write the French off, even though what have they done between tournaments, let's be honest. And it's the same with the Wallabies. They're the type of team that when they turn up on a park, they're proud to be there. They're a hard team to push around, regardless of results. Mm, I mean, England at home last time didn't even qualify for the playoffs. I mean, yeah. So things, weird things can they, happen. They eat themselves at tournament time, just like their football team does. Do yeah. you think it is more open than previous tournaments? No, I think there's only three teams. You in still it. think only three teams, yeah. Maybe France <laughs> is, a, is a random, yeah. What do you reckon? I, I would tend to agree with you, yep. I think there's six teams that could, but there's really only three teams that will. Yeah. Yeah, likely going to be end up being a playoff between six nations and rugby championship to see who picks up the big cup. Yeah, I think Box, England, All Blacks, one of those three, but you never know. Yep. You never know. Um, one of the things I was curious in getting your guys' opinion about was one thing from the tournament you yes. were looking forward to. Like, what, what's, what's, what's whetting your appetite? Well, a place where I won't be, I would really enjoy to be covering the Pacific Island teams like my colleague Vinny Wiley is for Rinzi. He's up in Saapuru and down to the very south of the southern island of Japan and all over the place covering those teams. I think that'll be the beauty of this World Cup. I think it's going to be off the field, of course, you know, outside of the stadiums soaking up the culture and the language and the embracing the experience that is Japan because it is a crazy place. It's a country of contradictions, very conservative in so many ways and incredibly loose in others. Uh, and you'll find everything, anything you want, no matter what it is. So I think off the field is where this World Cup's going to be particularly unique and special. Um, and I think the match day experience will, will be largely very similar to what it has been at others. Some of these, game, some of these stadiums have not great infrastructure. They've got athletics tracks around the fields. I don't think they're necessarily that well located so I think match day could prove an interesting experience for some fans but outside the stadiums and off the field it'll be brilliant I should point that out that Joe is attending the World Cup on behalf of Radio New Zealand and will do a fantastic <laughs> job so do look out for his coverage um, he's off on Tuesday arriving Wednesday so what you'll be filing the first day will you or what correct Fantastic. And what about you, Alice? What do you think? I think it's the potential for upset is what's going to be interesting because you never know when it comes to a World Cup what's, how it's going to all play out. And I think the fact that we've got Samoa and Fiji both in positions where they could cause an upset coming out of that pool play, uh, they're going to be really hungry. Fiji, of course, being in the top 10 uh, nations at the moment, which is you know unusual for a Pacific team coming into a World Cup. They've been playing some really interesting rugby. If they can keep their nerve, is always a trick. Um, and whether they want to just blow out a scoreline, which they tend to do if it's not going their way. Be good if Fiji were in that Scotland Island pool, wouldn't it? 
and then they could potentially, and Japan, that would be a good pool for them to be in because then you might give them a chance of sneaking through to the quarterfinals. I wish, that, I mean, it would be a great story. It would be almost the story of the World Cup if mm. Fijians or one of the Pacific Island teams, most likely the Fijians made it through. I'm not sure if it will happen, though. I'd say the thing I'm looking forward to is the end of the Steve Hansen tenure. Um, <laughs> I've got a genuine bit of Steve Hansen fatigue. Um, I'm looking forward to Steve Chu going. I'm looking forward to some of the senior All Blacks like Kieran Reid um, taking their bows as well. I think um, on a personal level, I found Steve Hansen wonderful to deal with when I was sort of on the beat, if you want to describe it that way. Um, charismatic, free with information, um, courteous, just a really charming and interesting guy. But I think he's had a good run. I think it's time for a clean slate. We saw the, the Tonga game last week. Joe and I talked before the match on this show, and, and Joe thought maybe a 50-pointer. I, I was going for a hundy. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed it was only 92. <laughs> yeah, much closer. I felt my credibility was put in a question there. But um, That was bloody disappointing. It, highlight, it was a pretty terrible game, wasn't oh, it? It was, it was awful. played at a really low intensity, a really bad advertisement for rugby. And terrible. it's been interesting since to see people such as Mark Robinson, the new or the incoming CEO, and, and Brendan P. from New Zealand Rugby, the chairman, sort of dis- expressing dismay. I thought it was a little bit like... Alice, you're a political person. Um, <laughs> politicians are great empathisers. Oh, I, I see your issue. I feel your pain. Mm. Mm. Wish I could do something about that. <laughs> yeah. Can I? Yeah. Maybe not. But I feel your pain. And so they've made some sympathetic noises this week about the plight of Pacific nations and yes. the fact that they're not as strong as we'd like them to be or they could have been. Um, what do you guys make of all that? Alice, I'll let you go first. I think we benefit off keeping them weak, don't we? Like, let's just yeah. look at our team. Uh, how many of our boys are Pacifica... You know, heritage that we've got in there. That's the hypocrisy of Steve Hansen mentioning mm. it after the match. It's like if he's faced with a Pacifica player with with dual nationality, mm. he picks them every time, gives them a cap or two, and then he exactly. can't be played by his nation of heritage. And that's really disappointing for world rugby. Of course. Might so suit his means, uh, you know, immediately, but there's no one else's. It's the, it's the shutout that happens there, right? And yeah. that's the, it comes back to this whole nonsense, which is exactly what you touched on there, that you play one cap and that's your international career done. And that then we see, you know, rugby league is the best example of how it should be done. That if you're not picked for the side, you can go elsewhere. And we can talk about infrastructure, and we can talk about a whole bunch of different things, but I know as a player... When when you've got someone in your mix that has that type of fire in them that has come from something more professional, how that just lifts the game of everyone around them. And so it's like if we had that opportunity that, hey, look, you might be near the end of your career and so it might not be an All Blacks jersey that you can pull on anymore, but if you're good enough to still be in the mix and getting back to Tonga and sharing that knowledge and sharing that energy in particular and that belief too, you know, that maybe they're not all that really uh, because how much fear there is attached to that black jersey too, uh, that, you know, that's really what we need to see. We can talk about the other stuff first, but this is a really easy fix, you would think. Yeah, if you give them competitive advantage or more of a, an even playing field in terms of who they can pick, mm. it will flow on from there, won't it? Yeah. I mean, you... It's the only way around it that I can see because you, yeah, it's not something... You, you, unless you've got vast amounts of money, you're willing to throw it at and really commit to it and commit to structures. You can't fix the problem any other way. Yep. You simply have to make a rule whereas you've played less than X amount of caps for your Tier 1 nation you can go and play, and you don't get selected for that World Cup squad, or you don't get selected for that year's internationals, you can then go and play for your country of heritage, Tier 2. Yeah, it would have been a bit sudden for Lomapi and Fafita to play against the All Blacks last week, but it would have been but at the World Cup, 
I'm not, I wouldn't have a problem with it. The intellectual property thing, maybe there's an issue there, right? Because Lamar has been in that All Black setup this year. Sure, but as Alice mentioned, that's what's made rugby league relevant again yeah. for the yes. first time in Tonga, forever. Like, look at that. Yeah. Look, look at the equivalents, right? Let's look at the Kiwi Tonga match yeah, yeah, yeah. that was played and how competitive that was, oh, and how they it. were the the story of the last World Cup because they yeah. got to have that player base in there. I would also say, you know, it's what what those players bring in terms of a, a spotlight as well, because the players that on, in, involved in those setups they don't have a voice to be talking about how shoddy the setup is how you know there's lack yeah. of sponsorship opportunities and things like that you t- t- attach a name to it with the name comes money comes attention comes a focus on those issues that it, these players are already facing you look at when Jared Hayden went across to uh, the Fiji 7 setup everybody suddenly oh, oh what's going on over there pay more attention and if you had that type of thing going on more regularly if we're actually going back and, and they can speak directly to their experience within a professional setup versus you know tier 1 setup versus tier 2 they can speak to that issue instead of having to you know be like the players that are always complaining they can draw attention to that really stark difference that there is in terms of those setups because my frustration is um, apparently New Zealand go to world rugby and they say we'd like these eligibility mm. rules relaxed and you know your Piatos your Sopawangas your Luatuas etc to be able to mm-hmm. play for their country sure and England Ireland Wales etc they f- they say no yes. absolutely not that's the story but yes. they're happy to pick Blade Thompson who's mm. As Scottish as the yeah. three of us. Or Gareth Danscombe or you yeah. know, Brad Shields. Devin Toner, I mean, a veteran Island player, just been binned for John Klein, who's come in on his residency from South Africa. I mean, just passed like last week, and so he's yeah. in the squad, mm. and they're happy to do that. Yeah. But they won't. I just don't. It's so self-serving, and I just think it defeats rugby ultimately. Yeah, that's it? why it isn't just the NZR that needs to come to because no matter what they do, nothing changes unless World Rugby relax that rule. Say so you played less than X amount of caps, you can change and you can go to your country of heritage. And there should also be a rule at the other end too. Say so you've played over X amount of caps, and you're no longer being picked for your international team, you should be able to then go down to tier two as well. So like a Wyatt Crockett, I don't know where he'd go, but you know that mm. kind of a guy, someone that's played a lot of rugby that is no longer being picked for the All Blacks but is still playing, mm. can therefore go down to a tier two team. Maybe it's over sixty caps or something. I don't know what it is. Um, and you bring, imagine, you know, the, the, the IP they'd take with them then mm. and, and the influence in, on the environment, all that sort of stuff. So I think that has to be the way to go about it. You've got to force the clubs in the Northern Hemisphere to release their players when there's international windows to those teams mm-hmm. and, not, and not, you've got to remove all, those, all that subtle, subtle threats that those clubs have hanging over the players' heads over if you choose to play for Fiji and make yourself eligible, your contract may not be so secure here if it was if you choose to make yourself ineligible for any international team. There's all sorts of things like that that go on under the table that need to be addressed. And the best way to do it would be to relax the eligibility rules. And if you're looking at areas of growth, it's not in Tier 1. That is not the place where there is anywhere to go. So if we're looking at where we want to grow rugby, it's Tier 2, it's women's rugby. Those are the two places that we can actually make some really interesting things happen. And the success of Tier 1 is entirely reliant on the Pacific Islands. They are what made rugby. You look at what made rugby when it became professional, it was Jonah Lomu. It wasn't uh, some exciting uh, player from New Zealand. It's the fact that you've got, you know, this Pacific talent is what has made the sport. They are the best at this game and they need opportunities to play more. Well, predating that, Samoa's performance of the 1991 World Cup where they were quarter-finalists, beat mm. Wales, beat Argentina, had mm. a narrow loss to Australia. That, that borderline set the tournament alight. And... Mm. Where are we now? Nowhere. We're even worse off than we were in 1991. Yeah. In terms of worse off, I was at uh, New Zealand Rugby AGM, I think it was two or three years ago, and Brent Impey as chairman stood up and said, look, as an organisation, we're too too blokey. It was like being at a Masonic Lodge. I've never been to one, but it was little (laughs) secret handshakes and all these blokes saying good day to each other and long lost. That's weird, all right. We're all 
good Kiwi jokers here. And he said, well, we need to be diverse. We need to have more female representation. We need to have more um, ethnic diversity. Where are we going here? And he said it again this week, but it's still it's a bit like the, the eligibility stuff. Nothing's actually occurred. What do, what do you think, Ellis? Are they really... Are they failing the game? Are they failing female players by not being more open and, and more recognising and greater, you know, yeah, making better efforts to recognise mm. females and, and, and other people? I think signals at the top are doing better, but I think the problem is is that the pathways are all established for male players. So the, even the communication channels are set up in that way. So if we're talking about those messages getting all the way down to your club-level player, which, you know, there are not many steps for New Zealand female players between their local team and their international team. Um, and but, but there aren't many steps, but there are huge gulfs in terms of attitude, in terms of communication. So, you know, I've been doing a bit of thinking, a bit of talking with people recently about I need to actually bring the collective in terms of our grassroots teams together and be actually starting to advocate more at our level because that's 99% of players. Yeah, it's working for the Black Ferns at the top now, great, and it's fantastic that we're starting to look and recognise and pay and actually have advertisement campaigns and sponsorship and things like that, but we lose so much talent every year from having to be feeling like they're not safe or or not welcome at their local clubs. So we have to address that issue first because you're never going to get into a black jersey if you don't end up getting out there for your club jersey first. Sure, but at a decision-making level, if there's more females involved, does someone like Severo Reese get an NZR contract? Is he an (laughs) all-black? Like, that's it. Yeah. I mean... And if you're a staffer at NZR, do you feel that you're respected or that women's views are are, are, are worthwhile or is it just we're all blokes here and we'll do what we've always done? Yeah, and and to be honest with you, you know, uh, Hanson's comments at that uh, particular um, press conference, you know, for myself as someone that has experienced intimate partner violence and as a rugby player, that's a pretty... Not great combo uh, to be listening through from like a, a head and of someone at the top of your game, right? That this, oh, you know, do I think that partial care is important and do I think that actually how we change things is to maybe give people opportunities for, you know, uh, atonement and, and working through things, absolutely. But do we give them that while also giving them a really nice paycheck straight away? Maybe not. Um, I think, yeah, look. In order to have people on boards, though, you've got to have them feel like their their voice is actually valid, and you can't just have one. That's the other thing, too. We need to be making multiple seats available there. You know, Farah is great, but what, how much can she do when she's the only seat at the table? It's the same here at Wellington Rugby. Izzy Ford, a lot of time for her, um, but, you know, she's the only one there. And we've got to make more seats available for more people. That's the same with the Pacific, though, as well, right? How many Pacifica uh, have we got involved in those decision-making? It's... It's men, but it's also white men too that are making most of these choices. So are you talking about actually dedicating seats to female representatives or just encouraging more females to contest board positions? Yeah, look, I'm a big uh, proponent of quotas to begin because I think you have to make room... Uh, in order to there to be opportunity because then you attract people into it. I'm Look, I'm 30 now. I'm coming up near the end of my career. I'm starting to look at in my playing career. I'm starting to look at how I can continue to input into the sport post. And there are a few different ways I can look to do that. But has anyone from my union or my leadership spoken to me? Absolutely not. <laughs> and, you know, I'm pretty outspoken on the issue. Um, so, you know, there are people, women approaching me within women's groups saying, hey, maybe think about this, do this. But I'm not getting a lot from my local club. I mean, I've had a lot of battles there, which I won't go into. Uh, but, you know, there are, we're not shoulder-tapping talent 
and saying, hey, there is a place for you. And if we had a quota system and a two-seat minimum or three-seat or whatever it is, then you have to go out there and find it. You know, quotas are one thing. You actually have to attach them with a program of development at the same time, absolutely. But I don't think you're going to get a program of talent design if there's nowhere for them to go because it's a pathway to nowhere. It's a convey about to nowhere. Why are you going to put effort in when you can put it in somewhere else? Do you think in two years' time, Brendan, he's going to be making similar comments and not much is going to have changed? <laughs> not if I have my way. <laughs> not if I have my way. Uh, you know, there are like honestly, there are some things that I'm looking at doing in terms of organising this group of people together. We can't be relying on people in a black jersey to make noise about this because their contract is continued. Mm. You know, is contingent on being having a good relationship with the people that are handing out those jerseys. That's right. You silence your most potentially vocal critics by yeah. bringing them on the pole on the boat. Well, that's my way. What is that? If you you know people like Farah, how how much can she actually say? when she's in the position she's in. Definitely. And, and Yeah, I mean, you talk about, like, again, if I talk about the Black Ferns, those are the people whose rugby story worked, right? That's the success story. Not only did they have the talent, but all the steps along the way fell into place for them. I mean, I just think about myself. Like, I was sevens first. Sevens got cut from Wellington Rugby uh, when I was 15. There was no sevens. And oh. it came back in 2012, and all of a sudden we wanted to pull in talent from other codes where there was talent there the whole time, but they just stopped opportunity for it. And what happened? Certain players went to other countries. So some of our best players went and played for Samoa for a couple of tournaments. They're no longer eligible to play New Zealand sevens. So, you know, you see see this, players are like water, they're going to find a way to get to where they want to be. But we have to make that pathway, we have to make that channel to, in order for them to flow that way. But yes, you look at that black jersey, it's too hard to speak out against it. And then you might when you're retired, but again, it's it's tough because you were speaking from an experience that worked. So we need to be talking to more players. How many stories I've heard of players that have been promised things come over and it's not delivered. I'm thinking about that uh, rugby league team, we're just talking about the Warriors that's come in. I know more than a few girls in there that have been on the periphery of Black Ferns for a long time. They these contracts came sniffing around for Warriors. Guess who got called back into a Black Ferns camp? And, you know, we were having the chat about it. We said, are you going to go in there? Are you, gonna, are you not going to go in there? They actually ultimately opt to, opted to go for Warriors because they actually get to play. And at the end of the day, that's what players want to do. They want to play. So, you know, that is actually the biggest threat to women's rugby at the moment is what's going on in Australia with rugby league. It's the same challenge that we had in 96 with the, with the fact that so many of our male players were switching over to rugby league because mm. there was paid opportunity there. It's happening for us. Uh, and we've got to sharpen our tools in, in terms of holding on to that talent because we have a Black Fern team, but a lot of those ones that were just on the periphery that had the skills that maybe were the one you called up when there was an injury, they're gone now. New Zealand Rugby Chair Brent Impey told Checkpoint's Lisa Rowan this week of New Zealand Rugby's continued frustration at the treatment of Pacific nations by World Rugby. New Zealand Rugby has been pushing very hard for a change in the eligibility rules. So a player like Malakai Fikatoa, who played for, or Charles Piatel, played for the All Blacks, give them a stand-down period of a year or so. They go from a Tier 1 nation to a Tier 2. That would have made an enormous difference uh, to that game. And thirdly, and we are committed to this, is to create a pathway for for these players. We've, we've looked at, um, and I was a spearhead of this, looked at a Pacific Island Super Rugby team, we couldn't make it commercially work. That doesn't mean um, it's, uh, that's the only answer. We are looking at new competitions to be able to uh, enable Pacifica players to, to play in the Asia-Pacific region and also uh, much more meaningful games between Tier 1 nations such as New Zealand and Tier 2 nations such as the Island, Islands. A lot of work to be done, uh, but we, we are making progress. Was, are we frustrated by um, the failure of uh, the, the, the North around these areas such 
such as um, player release and eligibility. How do, you force their yes, hand? How do you force their hand then? In the end, you've got to be able to get sufficient votes to change the rules. And um, uh, and that, that can be done more so these days because rugby has, has spread out. But to think that it's easy to knock off the um, the home unions who are far more traditional in their views than we are um, is, um, is not uh, straightforward. Can you get the numbers? I think we can. And I think that uh, out of following this World Cup and following um, uh, what I believe is, is that the gap hasn't got any closer in 25, 30 years between the Tier 2s, such as Tonga, and the Tier 1s. In fact, I think the gap's got wider. So um, we either do something about it, or in 2048, the Rugby World Cup will be played between the, the same six, seven nations as it's always been. Brent Impey concedes they have been slow in recruiting women to New Zealand board positions. There are three vacancies each year. One is uh, appointed, one is uh, elected but nominated by the uh, provincial unions and the other is appointed by the by the appointments panel. So we do have a way in which we can ensure that uh, diversity is achieved. So we've we've, we've made some progress. Um, you know, Sir Michael Jones, um, a Pacifica, made some progress. Dr. Farah Palmer, I acknowledge we've got a lot more a lot more to do, and we're um, we're going to do it. Supercars history on home soil beckons for the New Zealand driver Scott McLaughlin Ipukukohi racetrack south of Auckland this weekend. Having claimed his maiden championship crown last year, the 26-year-old has arrived back on Kiwi shores with a massive 573-point lead in the battle for the 2019 title. But McLaughlin's stunning form, having won an astonishing 16 of this year's 22 races, has given him more than the opportunity to win back-to-back championships. The Hamilton-born star will this weekend have two chances to go to 17 wins and claim outright the record for most race victories in a supercars season. Scott McLaughlin chatted to Clay Wilson about what was on the line at the Auckland Super Sprint and what it took to go fast around Pukekoi Park Raceway. Balls, yeah, you got to try and uh, you got to put a lot on the line. There's, it's mixing risk versus reward. You know, it's it's unforgiving. You know, it's it's kind of like a track like Bathurst where you, it's high speed and you make one mistake, you're gone. So, I've been on the other end of that as well. I've hit the wall a number of times, especially last year. So, you know, hopefully we have a pretty clean weekend, especially if it rains. Given the position you're in. How does it feel different this year arriving back on New Zealand soil? Oh, it's just, uh, it's always, I guess you get bigger and bigger as a, as a profile as well, and then which is really cool. And then now with the position, it's a little bit more calmer situation, I guess. Um, you know, I'm in a, in, a, in a nice position to try and potentially extend. My goal this weekend is probably to get to 600 points if I can. That means we're two rounds ahead and we can really attack Bathurst. So um, if we can get a win here, it'd be an absolute bonus, but we need to be consistent like we have been all year. What would it mean to break that record of Craig Lowndes' here, get number 17? Oh, it'd be awesome. You know, it's just, you never sort of put yourself there. You never think that you could get to that record. It's a pretty hard record to get, and to be you know, equal with him is pretty special. But if we can do it here in New Zealand, obviously that'd be a huge bonus. But, you know, like I said, I think we've got, we've got time to do it. Given the dominant position you're in, what sort of response are you expecting from the fans this year? Oh, look, hopefully it's a good one. Um, obviously the Holden fans are probably going to hate me and the Ford fans are going to love me, so you know it is what it is. But normally we have a pretty good, doesn't matter if it's Holden or Ford, if they're Kiwis, they normally support us pretty well, so hopefully it stays like that. You spoke about that win last year. Why is that win so special to you? I just there was so much at stake, so much pressure. Look, it was uh, it was just something that you know I'll never forget. We had to really bounce back. There was a lot of fun and games the day before and stuff like that. So, yeah, to bounce back and win that and really sort of stick it up, everyone, it was really cool. 
What's your mindset given the position you're in five rounds to go? Do you feel like you're sort of uncatchable at this point? Uh, no, I think anything can happen. You know, 300 point rounds coming up with enduros and stuff. We've got to be consistent, but I guess I'm in a position now that I can attack probably a little bit more than I normally can when you're a leader in a championship. So you know, I've got a buffer there. I want to try and use it and potentially help extend, but there's a reason why we've got to that position and that's you know doing what we have been doing and executing the way we have and if we can keep doing that same way um, hopefully we just keep extending. And first time round here in a Mustang what are you expecting from that? Yeah it'd be cool I'm looking forward to seeing what it feels like I think it'd be really cool it's gonna be really fast um, if it rains it's gonna be interesting too but you know hopefully we can uh, adapt to all conditions. Scott McLaughlin there speaking with Clay Wilson ahead of the New Zealand round of the Supercars Championships at Pukekohe this weekend. I thought it could go on for hours but we'll uh, we'll leave it there thanks thanks Alice thanks Joe and that's extra time for this week I'll be back next week while when uh, Joe's in Japan we'll catch up with him then Bye. Botox Cosmetic out of botulinum toxin A FDA approved for over 20 years so talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you for full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.